like to share a message with you today entitled the hope of his coming again the hope of his coming again advent is the four weeks before christmas advent means coming historically advent was not mostly about jesus coming to bethlehem advent mostly was about him coming a second time. And it isn't just until the last hundred years or so we have focused almost exclusively during Advent on Jesus coming. And Jesus coming to Bethlehem, born of a Virgin Mary, is to be celebrated annually for sure. But the Advent season is the one season of the year where churches all around the world say we're going to focus not just on his first coming, but his second coming. His first coming, Jesus' first coming 2,000 years ago on Christmas Day, prepares you and I for the second coming. And this is how this thing works. The incarnation happens on Christmas Day. Actually, the incarnation happened nine months before Christmas Day. It's when the Son of God comes inside of a virgin named Mary, and an egg is fertilized. And believe it or not, that egg that's fertilized is human, but it's also God, the Son of God. Nine months later, that baby is born in a manger on Beth, in Bethlehem. You all got that story? You could see it. Well, we used to have it back there, the, the whole manger scene, right? Jesus came to the earth. Why did he come? He came for a number of reasons, but one of them is to rescue us. So for 33 years, he lives his life. The last three years, he's living the messianic life. His ministry is public. And that led to him going to a cross where he takes the sin of the world upon him and he dies. He's buried in a tomb and he resurrects on the third day. So the incarnation was necessary for there to be a death and resurrection. After the resurrection, is the story over? Nope. Forty days later, he ascends into heaven, still in a bodily form, sits at the right hand of the Father, and he makes intercession for us. Is it over? No. And then he, he waits in heaven till only the Father knows the day, and then he comes back again to the earth the second time. First time was in a cradle, second time upon a horse. Second coming, a visible dramatic manifestation of the Son of God's glory. He comes back the second time. It's called the consummation. And then history as we know it ends. This is over. This, this kind of life is over. This kind of existence is done. History is done. The last chapter of the history book has its period. It's over. And a new age begins. And in the new age that begins, the sons and daughters of God are given new bodies. We are rewarded for our faithfulness in the earth as believers. And we rule and reign in a new heaven and a new earth with God forever. 
There's the bridal paradigm where we have the, the supper of the Lamb, where in some way we have a unique marriage with the, with the Son of God as the bride of Christ. And we go into an eternity. The New Testament has eight times as many verses about the second coming as it does the first. Most of the prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus are about his second coming. Now, is the first coming important? Of course, yeah. Without the first coming, the rest of this never happens. So God has a plan. God has a plan. Before you and I were ever created, before the earth was created, he had a plan. This was his plan. I want my son to have a companion suited perfectly for him so that he and the Trinity can rule and reign for eternity. So there's this plan. God creates the earth, creates Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve sin. This did not catch God off guard. He knew it was gonna happen. He had a plan prepared. Aren't you glad that God has a plan? Hey, you screw your life up, it's okay. He has a plan. Now, should that give you permission to screw up your life? No, but he always has a plan. Oh, can I just go off topic a second? Let's say you're, you have, there's a plan, you get off the plan. But you humble yourself before God and you repent, and, you, and God gives you a new plan. That new plan can be better than the first plan. That's just how grace works. So you might say, well, does that mean I should fumble the ball in the first plan so I can get to the second plan? Don't, no, that's not fair. But God has a way of restoring and redeeming. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, and they were supposed to rule and reign with God in the earth, they failed. They didn't take dominion. They failed. That started this whole process of which Christmas celebrates the incarnation, and rightly so. But that's not the end. Say amen to that. The end is called the consummation, the climax. That's not when Jesus rose from the dead. That's when Jesus comes back to the earth again as an adult man in all of his glory. Someone might say, when's that going to happen? Well, here you go. Jesus doesn't even know when it's going to happen. It's going to happen suddenly. It'll be permanently. It'll be publicly. It'll be dramatically. Anybody kind of excited about that? What does the Bible say our attitude should be towards this coming? It says we're to love his appearing. We are to hasten it. We are to eagerly await it. We're to be patient, but we're to be ready. That means we should think on a daily basis this could be the day. The early church used to greet one another with the phrase Maranatha. Maranatha means come, Jesus come, or come, Lord, come. Or Lord, come quickly. Maranatha, come Lord quickly. I'm going to start a tradition today here at New Life. I'm going to say Maranatha, which means what? Come Lord quickly. And you're going to respond, it could be today. Here we go. Maranatha. Right, right. Now he's, he's coming back today. For every one of you that actually said something there that I asked you to say. You stubborn guts, he's not coming back for you. No, sorry. Sorry, rough day for you. You had your chance to obey the pastor and you were passive instead. 
you got to go to Spearfish next week and freeze your... <laughs> going to our text, 1 Thessalonians... You heard it read at the when the lighting of the Advent candle today. The book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, is the oldest book of the New Testament, or there's another way of thinking of it. It's the first one that's written. Probably written about 20 to 25 years after Jesus' ascension. It's written by Paul. Paul started this church in Thessalonica. He preached there. Then he left and he went other places. And he heard about how the church was doing, and it was doing quite well, actually. But they had a question for Paul. They said, essentially went like this Paul, when you were here, you preached a lot about Jesus coming back. It was like every sermon, man. And now we've got people dying. It seems like he's not coming back very quickly. What's up? What about these people that have died? Are they not part of the second coming? So Paul writes them a letter to talk to them about the second coming. That's what we're reading today. There's a lot in here. There's a lot in 2 Thessalonians. There's a lot in 1 Corinthians about Jesus coming. Shall we begin? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, But we do not want you to be ignorant or uninformed, brothers, about those who that are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Paul is saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about the second coming of the Lord. So if you and I say this, I'm not really interested in the second coming of the Lord, do you not see that that's in a direct violation of that? You're choosing ignorance over being informed. Like, I don't know the day he's coming back, but the Bible paints a picture of what those events are going to look like when they come. And it's important that we know what it looks like to give us hope for the future. For those who are asleep in the New Testament Many times the, the apostles do not use the word dead. They use the word asleep. For the unbeliever, they say dead. For the Christian, they often say they're asleep. Now, they're not in some soul sleep. No, they're not that. But what they mean to imply is that what the New Testament says that, or Old Testament says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep. Lie down in peace. In other words, I'm, a, I, I'm comfortable. I'm resting until the Lord comes. So you might say, well, Dan, what happens when people die? Their body's in the grave. What happens? Are they hanging out down in there for a while? What's up? When you die, your soul, your spirit, immediately upon your death goes into the presence of the Lord. To await something in the future. It's not done. Heaven is not the goal of salvation. Heaven is the waiting room until the second advent. It's not the end. Is it nice up there? Yeah, it's great. There's no sorrow. There's no death. There's no sickness. There's rest. What a beautiful... You know that the word cemetery? Uh, cemetery is 
is a Christian word that means place where people sleep. I call that a congregation, but those words are pretty close. <laughs> congregation, cemetery, both start with C. Hey, 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 up here. There you go, you got me. Yeah, you go, when you die, you're in the presence of the Lord. What's yet to happen, though? There's a second coming, there's a new body, there's the giving of rewards, there is the judgment to come, and there's the entry point into eternity. That's all yet to come. So you hang out in heaven until there's a trumpet sound. And then when there's a trumpet sound, everybody comes out of the lobby, you get on the spiritual plane, and you go back to the earth, and while you're going back to the earth, up out of the, up out of the graves come new bodies, and you get a new body. We say, Dan, that's fanciful. I know it's fanciful. We would never know this without God's inspired word. We would just be completely clueless about what awaits us. That's why we can say here, we're not like those that have no hope. On my worst day, I've had a few bad days. I've had mostly good days, but I've had some bad days. Here's what Paul said, here's your hope, man. Here's your hope. Even if you die, it's not over. Even if you die, the best is yet ahead. Even if you die, my purpose for your life can still be fulfilled. I go, glory to God, I can live with hope. If you're grateful for that, say amen. amen. To live a life without hope is a great curse. Here's how you live a hopeful life. I don't care what you say about me. I don't care what you do to me. Take whatever you want. You could even take my life because I know what's coming for me. Oh, Dan, you're just kind of, you're kind of in denial. I'm not in denial, man. Oh, Dan, you're brainwashed. No, you are. I chose who washed my brain. I said, Jesus, wash my brain of all that nonsense. How was that? It was clever, wasn't it? I thought of it just right on the spot there. Write it down. For, verse 14, it says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. You got me. Those that died are hanging out up in heaven. They're in the spirit. They don't have a body. And when it, the second advent comes, when Jesus comes back, those spirits come and get bodies. Verse 15, for, we, for this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, if I'm still alive on the planet when Jesus comes back, the people in the cemetery that are Christians, that know God, those folks get their bodies first. They rise up first. They might say, well, what am I doing while they're rising? Probably watching. Like, you know, I often walk by cemeteries and I enjoy looking at old tombstones. Imagine what was their life like. This woman who must have died in childbirth, this child who probably died just a couple of days old, this old man, this woman, two men, 
this somebody here might probably died in the war, and I asked myself, when when this is all over, how many of those meet the Lord in the air? How many of those resurrect to eternal life? And how many don't? And until that day, only the Lord knows the difference between the wheat and the tares. Verse 15, for we declare to you by the, oh, I already did that. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. I don't want to kind of talk about the difference between the cry, the voice, and the trumpet. That's an, I'm not interested in that kind of detail. But there's a climactic, public, loud event. Heaven is shouting to the earth, and the dead that are in Christ, you notice it says in Christ, the dead in Christ rise. Do the dead that are not in Christ, do they get bodies? No. Are they annihilated so that they cease to exist? No. Being made in the image of God, in part, implies that you have an eternal soul. And your eternal soul is going to reside somewhere in eternity. Somebody might say, well, I don't believe that. Well, I don't believe I'm white. I choose today to identify as green. Well, I'm still white. I mean, you can decide what you, you can have whatever opinion you want, but the Bible says that you have, an, you have eternity in your heart. I'm going to roll today. Don't you start laughing in the front row. So we're going to have a trumpet sound. We're going to have a voice, a command. It's final too, by the way. It's not like you hear the trumpet and you go, oh, I got time. I got one split second to get right with God. Sorry, sorry, no. No, no, it's the end. It's the end of history as we know it. It's, it's done. Tomorrow is, in, is into an eternal day. I was born and raised on a farm, and part of the things you do on a farm is you put up hay in the summertime. Generally, it's alfalfa. We had large alfalfa fields as a boy, and I drove a swather. And a swather has a sickle bar, and it cuts down the hay, puts it in a windrow. You let it dry for about a day, then you bale it. And I did this every summer until I got married. And uh, I got saved at age 18, met the Lord, college. And back in the, this is back in the 1970s. I know that seems like an eternity for some of you. It seems like yesterday for me. I got saved in the 70s, and in the Jesus movement, the coming of the Lord, the rapture, those kinds of things were very, very popular. The rapture was not even considered until the 19th century. But after the 19th century, particularly with the Millerites, it started gaining. Uh, a place in evangelicalism, particularly in America. And so there's all these t-shirts about the rapture, and I believe about, and so anyway, I'm ready for the trumpet sound, man. I'm only 18, but I am ready for the for Jesus to come back. So I'm on a swather cutting alfalfa hay, and there's a big, massive semi that goes down the service road in front of our field, and he hits his horn. <laughs> I thought, oh my gosh, this is it. <laughs> and for a split second, I thought the whole thing was over. 
And in that split second, I had an unexplainable joy, zero regret and zero fear, for I knew him. I was anticipating it. I wanted it. I loved his appearing. I was waiting for his appearing. I was saying, finally, it's here. And then a second later, I realized, back to cutting hay. <laughs> Are you ready for that trumpet today? Seriously, you ready? Hey, you want to be caught doing porn? Serious to God, you want to have your nose in your computer when Jesus comes back? Now, will he forgive you? I think he will. But is that what you want? You want to be, you want to be sleeping with your girlfriend in her place and Jesus comes back? Seriously, is that what you want? I don't. That's why the New Testament says, live every day, every moment, not only with the expectation, but the awareness that it could be at that moment. And we say, Dan, are you trying to scare me? Yes. No, I'm, not, I'm just trying to make it real. Verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, We'll be caught up together with him in the clouds. Clouds always represents glory. To meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. The phrase that's the most important here is we'll always be with the Lord. Not caught up. We'll always be with the Lord. Right now is the Lord with us? Yes, of course he's with us. How's he with me today? It's mediated through the Holy Spirit. You know that little thing you feel inside you about the love of God? That's the Holy Spirit. When somebody says, if you received Jesus and you said yes, do you know what came inside you? The Holy Spirit. Because Jesus has his glorified body. He is in heaven waiting to come back to get us. And until he comes to get us, it's the Holy Spirit that mitigates his presence. When we're caught up in the air, we are going to see him as he is. We don't need the intermediary Holy Spirit to make it real to us. We see him. Anyway, see, we get to see Jesus? Yes. And I'll top that off. You get to see the Father too. And you might say, well, I thought the Bible says, no eye has seen the Father and lived. It does say that, but that's prior to the second coming. That's prior to the second coming. The unmitigated presence of God. That's going to make Raiders of the Lost Ark look like a stupid movie. You know, they lift off the lid, presence of God, everybody melts and go, that's child's play with what we're going to experience the word caught up here in our text, verse 17, is the word, that's where we get the word rapture. It's the only place in the New Testament. You may say, well, why does it say rapture? Well, rapture is not in the Greek. Rapture comes from a Latin word. Well, how do you get from Greek to Latin? Well, the New Testament, written in Greek, was translated into Latin, which is called the Vulgate. It was the first translated Bible. It wasn't in Greek. It's in the Vulgate. The, it's Latin. And in Latin, they translate caught up. Rapimur. Rapimur. Rapimur, which is where you get rapture. That's where the word rapture comes, right here. We're caught up. Now you might say, well, when does that happen? Well, this verse doesn't really tell me. 
pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath, post-wrath. All we know is this future. And has it happened? No, we wait to be caught up in the air with him. It says in John 14, it says, let not your hearts be troubled. 14, 1 through 3. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I think I have that verse, guys. Let, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I think that's pretty good. Jesus, what's he doing right now? He's intercessing at the, interceding at the right hand of God. But he's preparing something for us. A place is not necessarily physical. It could be a spiritual place, a place of authority and meaning and purpose. A place for you is like a bridegroom preparing a home for the bride. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Say amen to that. And I receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. What a promise. Verse 18 says, therefore encourage one another with these words. What words? Jesus is coming back. Jesus makes a promise to the dead that he's coming back for them too and he shall get new bodies and in the meantime they wait in his presence in fullness of joy. He says, encourage one another. You've lost a child. The pain's unbearable. But Jesus is coming back to make all things right. You've been unfairly treated or persecuted. Jesus coming back to make all things right. See, when Jesus comes back, he creates a new heaven and a new earth. We get a new body and we reign and rule with him. And I say, well, what do you mean we reign with him? Well, that's what this Bible clearly teaches. Well, how do you know what you get to reign over? Well, it's proportional to your faithfulness. You've been given talents. And, for example, if you sit on talents or you don't serve the Lord, if, if you're not loving your neighbor, if you're not working on your sanctification, then, then your, your reward's pretty small. You still get into heaven, but you have a small reward. And the Lord says, hey, great, everybody. You're all in heaven. Welcome. Glad you're all here. Got here through the blood of Christ. Let's give it up for our Savior. Ta-da. Hey, we're all here. Now I'm going to mete out rewards based on faithfulness. I like the widows and the orphans, the poor to come forward first. The guy with the swag, you still made it, but you're in the back. I wonder who's in the front of the line. I had a Christian one time say to me, all I want to do is get in the room. And I thought, yeah, but don't you want to have a reward too? What does it say? I just want enough of Jesus to get to heaven, but nothing more. I wonder if you have the real Jesus. Because once he saves your soul, you want to serve him. Chapter 5 says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anybody write to you. Verse 2, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That's to the unbeliever, not to us. 
While people are saying there's peace and safety, hey, there's a world leader that's finally getting the anarchy under control. We're finally getting the supply chain bottlenecks figured out. We're finally putting down the, the governments that are dictating. We finally have got somebody that's saying, I can lead this thing forward with peace and security. And the Bible says, be careful. When you put your trust in a man or a woman or a government, then sudden destruction will come upon them. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Sophisticated people don't like to talk about these kinds of things. The second coming is passe. They want to be talked, they want to be, they want sermons about vision, how to fulfill your greatest life, the Father's love, God gives second chances. You're going to make it. He's always for the underdog. You're going to overcome your trial. You're going to come out of the bondage. You're going to come into your destiny. You're going to, you know, you're going to be healed. You're, that, that, nobody likes to talk about Jesus coming back. And part of that, he'll punish the unbeliever. He'll hold it. Well, let's continue. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of the light, children of the day. In other words, live responsibly. We're not of the night or the darkness. Verse 6, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. In other words, alert, awake, spiritually engaged. Even now as I'm speaking, God's speaking to my heart. Dan, stay spiritually awake in these days. Dullness of mind and spirit is an act of the devil. What's the, the, the male? You know, females have besetting sins and males have besetting sins. What is the male's most difficult sin to overcome? Passivity. That's why the big joke is the man sitting in the lazy boy. Because it's not a joke. Men work hard. That's true. But they're, they're, they can be passive in spirit. So he says, wake up, come on now. Wake up, the Lord's coming back. How should we act in light of his soon arrival? Verse seven, for those who sleep, sleep at night. Verse nine, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. God has not destined us for wrath. The Bible tells us clearly in Romans 2 that the unbeliever is storing up wrath. It says here, for because of your hard hearts you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So it says that when Jesus comes back, he is going to judge, and some folks have stored up wrath of God. The Bible says that it's a terrible and terrifying thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. The wrath, would you agree with me that the wrath of God, the concept of the wrath of God is terrifying? Modern man doesn't like that. We don't want a God with wrath. Oh, we don't mind a God with wrath on other folks, but a God of wrath on me. 
You might say, well, Dan, how can God be love and be a God of wrath? All right. If I'm a parent that loves my child with all of my heart, I'm passionate. I have white-hot love for my child or my spouse. And a bully comes along and starts beating on her. Does a good man stand by and go, well, I guess, you know, I just love you all. You know, you're just, uh, when it's all over, I'll be here for you. Uh... I don't know how you're all raised, so I can't really explain why you're all. What does a good man do? Can, can a good man get angry? You better believe. A good man has to get angry. A good man does not love if occasionally that love doesn't ignite an anger towards unrighteousness. God does not love the earth if it's not coupled with anger towards those acts against those that he loves. I'll say it another way. Without wrath, God doesn't love enough. Okay, your daughter gets raped. You want God just to go, well, that's okay. We're in a fallen world. No, you're going this way. God, I will not take vengeance myself. I'll leave it to you. The Bible says, vengeance is mine saith the Lord. I'm going to forgive and you do what you got to do, but get him good. <laughs> Not destined for wrath. Aren't you pleased today that God's wrath that's due us was satisfied fully in Christ? You see, this is, this is how the cross worked. God's wrath against injustice and unrighteousness was hot. You and I are unrighteous. So that wrath gets, turns towards us. Along comes the perfect Savior who gives his life for us and says to God, God, turn your wrath towards me. So he, he takes the wrath that was focused on me and puts it on him. When he dies on the cross, it's not the devil winning. Jeez. It's God's wrath is being appeased. The wrath against all sin of anybody who will accept the sacrifice. Isaiah 53 indicates that when the wrath of God was turned towards his son, for a moment, God turned his face away. And that's when the son said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because for a moment he was forsaken. Why? Because the sins of humanity were upon him and the wrath of God was like a laser. How did Jesus handle it? He died. He didn't say, oh, no big deal. He died, man. Why did he die? My sin requires some kind of judgment. Well, 
in the cosmic world, how, how is wrong righted? Not by sweeping it under the rug. Somebody has to pay for it. That's what Jesus did. He paid for it. All the wrath due Dan Backens has been put on a Savior. You say, well, how do you access that? You believe it. And when the minute you believe it, all the wrath that was stored up for you, rightly so, is erased. And you're free. And you're forgiven. You're justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. Romans 5 and 9 says, Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Romans 5 and 9. I have that slide, guys. Romans 5 and 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from what? Right. Not say from the devil. Although you are, not safe from hell, although you are, not safe from your sin, although you are, here is bringing a focus on the glory of God, the righteousness of God. We have offended a good and holy God who loves us so much that he punishes anything less than love. It says here, we're justified now by his blood. Some on the day of judgment will be like this. Those annoying will be like this. Some will say, I can't stand the light. Others will go, oh, this is what you look like. Some will go like this, I want to get away from you. Others will go, can I get a bit closer? So how do you and I respond today? It says in verse 11, therefore encourage one another. So you lost a baby, you've gone through a divorce, there's a medical condition that's not resolving. I want to encourage you today. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to make all things right. It has not entered into your mind. You've not seen it or heard what God has for you. Don't sell your destiny for a bowl of porridge. That boyfriend is not worth it. That porn is not worth it. That addiction is not worth it. That broken relationship is not worth it. The Lord's coming back. And I, and I want to give the Lord the best life I can give him. Lord, I don't have any great heroic acts. I'll just give you a life of faithfulness. And I know I failed you lots. So you forgave me. This is my reward to you. Can I just pause for a second? Grandparents, you know how important it is your children know the Lord? It's not a game. Like, oh, they're cute. Listen, they got to know Jesus. Grandpa and grandmas, your number one assignment on the earth is not golf and retirement. Get those kiddos saved. Parents that have adult children, it's not okay. 
that they're good people but aren't serving the Lord. That's not okay. The stakes are too high for us. Jesus is coming back and when he comes back, there is a, a judgment of the living and the dead. That's why it's called the good news. Why is it called the good news, Melvin? Because the, there was bad news. Here's the bad news. There's a judgment coming. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Here's the good news. Jesus' death forgives you. So the first advent, Jesus coming as a baby in a manger, prepared you and I for his second coming when we'll be caught up in the air with him and forever be with the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that you enjoyed our sermon today. I hope that you were inspired and challenged. And maybe you have a question about something that you heard in the message today, or maybe you need prayer. We would love to take the time to pray with you and answer any questions that you might have. All you need to do is simply send us an email to online at newlife.global and we would love to connect with you. Well, be sure to subscribe to our channel. You should see the link right over here somewhere and turn those notifications on. That way you are notified every single time we go live on YouTube. Well, God bless you. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you on the next video. Take care.